dedicated to making the classics readable, relevant, and fun. Each episode, we'll discuss one classic book and share some recommendations for more contemporary reads that feature similar themes. As two nerdy bookworms, we appreciate the role of classic lit, but we won't get too academic about it. We'll talk about the books we love and the books we loathe, and help stock your TBR pile with old and new reads for every literary taste. Hey, Chelsea. Hi, Sarah. I love the beautiful cowl you're wearing today. Thank you. It's in honor of our discussion today, of course, Little Women. After I saw the movie, after everyone saw the new Greta Gerwig movie, I think like it elevated many women's pre-existing love affair with knitwear (laughs) (laughs) and with Timothy Chalamet. (laughs) Um, And our lovely friend Carrie, who is on Instagram at lines I underlined, she knit or crocheted, crocheted, I think. I think she crochets them. Yeah. Both you and I, a lovely cowl to wear this winter. And I basically haven't taken mine off since it arrived. They're so warm and cozy and beautiful and all the more special because they're handmade, which feels very Little Women-esque to me. Totally. Thank you, Carrie. We love you. (laughs) All right. I think that listeners are going to want us to get into Little Women as soon as possible here. As much as we would like to talk about knitwear for an entire podcast episode. (laughs) And maybe one day we will. (laughs) Yeah, let's let's do it. Little Women is such a beloved book. And we already have talked a little bit about it with the lovely Annie Jones of The Bookshelf. And I'm excited to dig a little deeper. I don't know if our listeners really need a summary of this one. Even if you haven't read this, I feel like it's just so pervasive. Everyone knows, for the most part, about Little Women. It's about the March sisters Four sisters growing up during the Civil War in New England. It's about their home lives, their struggles, their creative endeavors, their friendships, their loves. And it's about cozy, family, heartfelt feelings. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good way to put it. And it's very much associated with this time of year. I think it's considered a Christmassy classic, a wintry book, because there are some really iconic Christmas scenes in the novel. And uh, so it's definitely, I think, tied to this specific season. But Absolutely. With that great opening line, Christmas won't be Christmas (laughs) without any presents, which really is a great opening line. It is. And I think it's one that perhaps resonates with many, especially this year, because Christmas is weird this year. For many, it might be Christmas isn't Christmas without seeing my family or without hopping on a plane or taking a vacation or something like that. But I would love to hear when you first met Meg and Joe and Beth and Amy, what that experience was like for you when you first picked it up. So I didn't read this book as a kid. I definitely saw the Christian Bale, Winona Ryder movie, but I don't remember having any feelings, strong feelings about it. So I I met them in childhood, but through film. And then I think I picked this book up. It must have been at least three or four years ago, and I picked it up like I do many classics these days as this is something I should have read that I should be familiar with. And this one, especially because it is so beloved, it's considered, you know, one of the quintessential American novels or at least American children's novels. And because so many women who are readers really connect with this book. And so I picked it up really wanting to connect with it and see myself in it. And I really didn't. I I think I'm fairly confident that if I read this book as a kid, I would have liked it. But as an adult, I struggled with it. I struggled with the moralistic tone. I think that was the most challenging aspect of the read for me. And as much as I really enjoyed 
many of the characters and the stories and the the family unit, which I think is like the highlight of this book. I didn't like the feeling that I was being preached at while reading. And that was just hard to put aside for me. How about you? When did you read this and what were your initial thoughts? I came to this one as an adult as well and wholeheartedly agree that the preachy tone was something that really turned me off to the book and was hard to get past, especially, I think, because I listened to it on audiobook. Mm. The narrator was great. I do think, I mean, we have talked about before how classics often lend themselves so well to audio, but I think that the uh, tone was that much harder to escape or to read through in that format. I do, I think, and I could be wrong, but I think that I picked this up as a kid and maybe got a couple of chapters into it and then just never finished it. Mm Mm-hmm. I definitely never read the full book. It's a long book. It is long. It astounds me when people say they read it when they were eight or nine years Mm -hmm. old because of the length and because of the language. Yeah. And I, I never remember seeing the 1990s movie either. I was too wrapped up in reading Anne of Green Gables and watching the Megan Fellows BBC adaptation of that series. That oh, those, was my That was so good. <laughs> that for me is what I think for many women my age that was my little women. Hmm. And I think there are a lot of common threads. Like that's my comfort read. I know for a lot of people little women is what they turn to for comfort. And like Anne is my literary heroine where a lot of people really associate with Joe. So that was how I came to it. And so I I think part of it was that the expectations didn't match up with the experience for me. I was expecting to uh, really fall in love with Joe as a headstrong character. And I was expecting to feel really cozy and warm as I was reading. And instead, I just felt like, oh my goodness, these girls are just beating themselves up constantly for not being perfect. And as someone who is a recovering perfectionist herself, I didn't like being in that space with the, with the girls. I also didn't grow up with sisters. Mm, Me neither. I, I have one younger brother. And so that relationship is so very different from anything depicted in this book of sisterhood. (laughs) (laughs) And I always had really close girlfriends who kind of, that's where I got sisterly relationships, but I didn't grow up with sisters. And so I do think that there is a very special connection for certain readers who who did experience sisterhood hmm. as young adults. I will say, though, that after reading it, when I was trying to share and explain to people why I didn't love it, because it is, I think, somewhat of an unpopular opinion, although I did have a lot of people when I shared publicly that I didn't like Little Women, there were quite a few people who were like, me too, thanks for finally saying something. I think I was one of them. (laughs) But my caveat was, I really think Louisa May Alcott is a badass and she's really cool. So I can get behind her. And that I really liked her, I just didn't like her book. Also, she didn't really like Little Women, which I think she is... She didn't. Yeah. So, I, I mean, which is not to say that, you know, I, I I don't mean to say like, oh, well, Louisa May Alcott didn't even like this book, so you shouldn't <laughs> either. Not at all. Like, But I just think this isn't exactly the type of book she wanted to write, and this was, but this was the kind of book that was going to be successful. And she was really good at, at writing this. And so, you know, I, I just think that's always interesting, like what an author's best known and best loved work is versus what they enjoyed themselves as a writer. So yeah, I, I totally agree with the Louisa May Alcott thing. I love her. I loved learning a little bit more about her for this episode, which I'm sure we'll talk about. But I do want to go back to your comment about the girls beating themselves up and the perfectionistic tendencies. That was wholeheartedly, I think, what I had an issue with in this book as well, was just these the girls, like, 
having to sacrifice so much and not materially, like that didn't bother me as much, but I felt like a large message of the book was you have to sacrifice your own desires many times in order to be a good woman in this world, which is not to say that that's, that wasn't true for <laughs> women of this time and many women now, but because I think this book is pretty much exclusively read by girls and children's books that are written for boys don't have that message, that really bothered me. Yeah, that makes sense. I think part of what bothered me, a lot of it came from Marmee, who I really did not like when I read the book, but I, I do love in the recent on-screen adaptation, which I'm sure we'll talk about that too. But I I was just constantly like, can you just give these girls a second to complain without turning it around <laughs> into some moral lesson? And, uh, you know, some like recognize, yes, sometimes life sucks <laughs> first before we constantly have to be sunshiny all the time. Totally. And, like, okay, first of all, spoiler alerts for this whole episode. We're going to talk about everything. But Like when Amy burns Joe's book and Marmee's like, you have to forgive her. Like, you you have to forgive her before you go to bed. I'm like, what? Yeah, no way. (laughs) Anger. Like, and and, I mean, I love that conversation we had with Annie about how in the new Greta Gerwig movie, that scene where Marmee tells Joe that she's been angry every day of her life, which is in the book. But the movie kind of highlights that more and gives Marmy more nuance. And and I really appreciated that, even though like I, I agree that I just want her to let them be annoyed or mad or frustrated. Those are mm-hmm. all totally normal feelings. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know. I mean, I I'm someone who I I think that I tend to force myself into positivity often. And so, like I said, it's just, it was something in the book that really didn't comfort me. It annoyed me. However, I can see where those sweet, simple messages would be really comforting as a kid. Mm -hmm. So I, I absolutely believe that part of why I didn't like this book was that your first reading experience of this probably should be when you're little. And then that is, it'll feel more like a warm hug and less like, I don't know, pedantic almost. Yeah. I felt like I was being talked down to. Um, But I wouldn't have felt that way if I was 10 and I was reading it. Yeah. I think that that's a really, really good point. Did you read, um, I know you read some of Meg, Joe, Beth, and Amy which is a book by Anne Boyd Rue about little women. And did you read the last essay? I might have. I, I read pieces of each essay. And so I, I have some notes, but I don't remember. What was the last essay? The last essay was Wanting to Be Rory Gilmore, But Better. Yes, yes. I yes, I wrote down Gilmore Girls, Rory as Joe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I, I loved that parallel. Yes. Yeah, I loved that too. But I um I had actually a hard time with the bulk of that essay. I, I have to say I really enjoyed reading this book. However, you should know going in, I think that the pull quote from a review of this on the cover is an affectionate and perceptive tribute. And that's what this book is. It's mm-hmm. a tribute to Little Women, not a real work of literary criticism. It is so biased. It really made me mad at times. It's like the Gatsby book. It's it's a lot like, yeah, Maureen Corrigan's Gatsby book, which is, which is fine. I think I just was expecting a little something different, but I figured out from the first essay what this book was yeah. going to be, and then I was fine <laughs> with it. But in that last section, she talks about how people think the book is too moralistic, but she spends like one paragraph on it and then she dismisses it. And she just basically says, people only say that because the morals are coming from the parental figure. Like every, like Harry Potter is moralistic, but because the lessons are coming from Dumbledore and not Harry's parents, people read it differently. Yeah, I I didn't think that it was just coming from Marmy though. I kept feeling like, uh, and I wish that I had pulled an example, but I just 
remember there being some situations where it was coming from Joe reflecting on her own actions and sort of having that tug of war between this is what I want to do, but this is what I know I should do. And instead of that being interesting, it just, it felt, I don't know. I just didn't like it. <laughs> yeah. I, okay. I can think of an example of this because this is, I think, the part where I decided this book was definitely not for me. And I went back and I reread most of the first part of the book for today, which I like the first part when they're kids better. But I I knew one chapter from the second half that really bothered me, which is when Meg's husband, John, brings home a guest for dinner unexpectedly. And it's on the day when Meg was making her jams and she's really pissed that her husband brings someone home without asking her. Even though she had told him at the beginning of their marriage, like, feel free to bring over friends anytime. And then she reflects on it. She gets really mad, but then she reflects on it and she realizes, like, that she was really in the wrong. And, like, she should always be the first one to seek forgiveness because her husband is has a lot of pride and she needs to take responsibility. And that part, I think, is where it really lost me. Was mm-hmm. I, I, I mean, I think some of the messages about, as a kid, making sacrifices for your family and for people who have less than you and all of that I can get behind. But, you know, I, I, I'm not sure the book is saying all wives need to be, like, submissive and Repress the first. everything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but she was saying that because of Meg's husband's temperament, that needs to be the role. And that really, <laughs> really bothered me. And I, I think, yeah, I, I think just the second half when they're older and they're still, you know, really repressing, at least to my eye, that's what was harder for me. Yeah. When I, I really think that I would have loved reading this book as an adult in a classroom setting because I can just hear listeners telling us, but it was the time period and you can't just, you know, mm-hmm. put our modern views on it, which, okay, like that's what we do with this whole podcast. But <laughs> also, <laughs> but also I think that I would have really enjoyed this in the classroom setting where there was opportunity to dissect in that way. When yeah. I approached this text as this is a book that is beloved and cozy and sweet and is supposed to wrap me up like a warm hug I didn't get that from this book. But when I look at the historical context and when I think about the transcendentalist movement and realism and where this fits in with the literary canon and Alcott herself and her life as an author and as a woman and what she wanted for this book, then I really love it. Oh, I completely, completely agree. I think if I had... Even even if I was still reading it on my own, but if I was reading it through that lens instead of as this is going to be a cozy book, I would have liked it more. I actually tried to bring this into my curriculum and got shut down because it's a kid's book. Huh. Yeah. I wanted it to be summer reading for my women in literature class. And then we would talk about like female archetypes in literature and what Louisa May Alcott was breaking and what she was keeping and then looking at contemporary works and how writing about women had evolved. I think that would have been so cool. Yes, it is a children's book, but the writing is dated. It is not necessarily easy to get through. It Mm -hmm. is wordy and long. Mm Mm-hmm. You have to, I think if you are eight years old and reading this, it's because you're an avid reader already. Totally. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the other thing that I don't love about it is stylistically, the writing is just not my favorite to take in. Mm -hmm. It's very, like I said, it's really wordy and very saccharine, which I think a lot of people might also say about Anne of Green Gables, but for some reason, the, the humor of Anne kind of, I, I don't know, adds this this dash to like break up that saccharine overly sweet syrupiness mm. to me, but this one stays pretty syrupy. But 
let's let's help turn this around for us here because I'm already concerned that we're gonna get some hate emails. <laughs> I love the Greta Gerwig movie adaptation, and I know you do too. Yeah, I really love it. I think that Gerwig, and we talked about this a little on last week's episode, but just briefly, I think that she really gets the book and why it's beloved, and she keeps all of that while still acknowledging maybe what Louisa May Alcott didn't love so much about the book, and therefore infusing it with more of Alcott's own views and tastes and philosophies, and I think that's so great. And, I mean, we were just talking about the humor. I think the the movie emphasizes those humorous beats and and hits them a little bit harder than the book does. And it's, I think my favorite thing about the movie is how loud the house is. This house full of girls is just chaotic and loud. And I grew up an only child. And so I really relate to Lori in the in the book and in the movie where he's like first coming into the house and looking around and just like, what? <laughs> what is happening here? And like he goes back to like his quiet dinners with just his grandfather. And I remember like having friends who had a lot of siblings and feeling that way mm-hmm. and being like, oh, man, I kind of like want this big family, but I have no idea how to involve myself. I, I love that component of the story. Yeah, I think Gerwig just did such a great job of taking everything that's in the movie is in the book. It is really a great adaptation, but she took just enough artistic license with it. It takes all of the parts that I didn't like out. I don't yeah, mean it takes things... out the jam scene. <laughs> right. And I don't mean necessarily just specific scenes that it takes out, but I think that it strips it down to the much more realistic, which is what Louisa May Alcott was going for, the much more realistic, where the characters feel really fully realized as people. And, you know, I think that a lot of people probably read this book and felt that way about Mm -hmm. the characters as kids, where they felt like, oh, I know these, these sisters and I feel like they're real people to me. And I feel really invested in Joe and Lori's relationship in a way that I didn't, but that I really can feel when I watch that movie. And so for me, I am totally comfortable with that being the little women that I know. I don't need to love the book. I can love the movie and adore it and watch it every year at this time as a cozy, comforting movie and say that I love it and love it as an adaptation. And I don't have to read the book in order to just, just love that adaptation. Yeah, and and I think that in its own way is a celebration of the book for being like this lasting classic that has inspired and influenced so many female artists, including Greta Gerwig. And now we have this absolutely fantastic not modern adaptation, but just shaped a little bit more to modern sensibilities without sacrificing the sweetness and comfort of of the book. One of the quotes that I really liked from Anne Boyd Rue's book, which we'll make sure we link to in the show notes, she had some really great commentary about what makes a book a classic. And she says, for a literary work to have cultural longevity, it must contain themes and characters about whom people care deeply, inspiring debates as if what happens on the page is real life. And I think that is certainly true of Little Women. I I did not have a problem with Joe and Lori not ending up together. As a grown adult, I was kind of like, you go, girl. He doesn't deserve you. And I don't mind the German professor. I know he's like <laughs> described as older in the book, but I don't know. He could be hot. You never know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so in the movie, he's cute. Oh, he's so, great in the movie. <laughs> I I never had a problem with that, but I can totally imagine the the debate and the heartbreak and I don't know, I almost get pleasure out of the heartbreak of that as a reader. And so I I think certainly that 
debate. And then, of course, the debate about Amy being the worst sister, which I think Gerwig plays with really well in the movie. But in the book, certainly there's more of a rivalry that I think readers could certainly argue about. And yeah, I I like how Anne Boyd Rue is saying for these works to live on, the characters need to feel like real people. And I think that I don't know. When I when I listened to the audiobook, I felt like, no, maybe they're stock characters. But when you talk to readers who love the book, then you feel like these characters become more real. And then certainly when you see an adaptation like Greta Gerwig's, then they feel more real as well. Yeah, I love the stories about all of the girls reading this book and writing to Alcott's publisher. I liked how Anne Boyd Rue kind of compared Alcott to some of the great American authors she grew up around, like Hawthorne and Emerson and and Thoreau. Literally her neighbors. (laughs) Yeah, so crazy. Like popping over and saying hi. They were like her uncles, basically. Yeah, like Emerson and Thoreau were like her teachers. So nuts. If I had to pick Scarlet Letter or this one, I would pick this one. Like I I do think, and I, I kind of love that jealousy of these great American male authors over the popularity of little women. I think that is a fantastic story. And like another reason this book should be taught, I think, because a book being popular doesn't mean it doesn't have literary value. And I feel like we sometimes, even historically, have dismissed books because of how popular they are. So another thing that I I want to share is that, uh, and this was on page 61 of Anne Boyd Rue's book, which I know we are talking about this book a lot, but it's just really good. It is really good. It mentions that copy editors toned down some of Alcott's original lively language and tamed its playful spirit, Mm. which made me think, okay, so what if I read her early manuscript? Would I love this book? That's a really interesting question. Because certainly her editors, I mean, they're the ones who made her have this ending in Mm -hmm. marriage when she would have been perfectly content to just write about these sisters and not have have that at all. Joe had to get married. Alcott didn't want her to. The editors certainly had a heavy hand in this book. And she did this to make money. Like, let's be clear. She wrote a masterpiece, but she did it to make money. She needed to write this book and she needed to do it in a way that pleased her editors so she could make bank. Mm-hmm. And she did. <laughs> she, yeah, she very much did. <laughs> and good for her. But how much How much was the editors? And, you know, would I have loved this book if Alcott if her writing style wasn't controlled. I mean, copy editors toned her writing down. Maybe yeah. I would have loved it. Yeah. Oh, that's such an interesting question. I This book, uh, again, the Anne Boyd Rue book, did make me want to read Alcott's other book, Moods, which was a huge flop. To go back to the movie, I love how Gerwig did the ending of Joe and the Professor. First of all, I like that she made him hot. I mean, why not? And (laughs) I also like that there's a question at the end of whether you're watching Joe or whether you're seeing what Joe is writing and how she's ending the the book that is Little Women. I, I think that's so smart because it gives readers whichever satisfaction they want, whether that's um you know, Joe stays single, like Louisa May Alcott did, or whether that's Joe does end up with someone, but don't worry, he's really cute and handsome and smart as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, another quote that I wrote down from Anne's book, we're just going to call her <laughs> Anne now. She's our friend. Great. She We should have had her on the podcast with us, right? <laughs> and I I love this, but I will say I did not see this in the book when I read it. I think you can see it. I certainly get it from the movie. Is She basically says that a question this book poses is, how can we aspire to independence and also find love and support in the context of home? Hmm. 
And I love that. Mm-hmm. I do think it's present in the novel, particularly with Joe turning down Lori and she wants to seek independence in that way and she wants to be a writer, but also she loves her sisters and she loves being close to them. So I do think it's present in the book, but certainly that question is the thesis of Gerwig's adaptation. And and I love that. And I it's something I certainly relate to. I think that a lot of a lot of women today can relate to, a lot of people can relate to today with that tug of war between, you know, wanting to be independent, but also just the importance of family and having having a place that feels welcoming and and like home base. So I, I love that question. I it would not have jumped out at me upon just first reading this book. Yeah, I I really liked that um insight as well. And it is it's pretty wild to me how much women's fiction or fiction written by women still is wrestling with the question of can you be a creator, creative, and a writer, and a wife, mother, have a family, and and have that domestic aspect of your life at the same time. I think it's important to see the roots of that question being asked in literature by somebody who, as an author, her life answered the question differently than her book answers it, which I also think is really interesting. I mean, Joe could be married and I believe she goes on to have children in the later books and be a successful writer, but that wasn't Louisa May Alcott's experience. And I think that kind of tug is another reason to explore the book. Yeah. And I, I always want to be careful when I say that I don't like this book because it is, like you said, it is such a cornerstone of women's fiction, and it is such an important book for so many. And I don't want it to sound like when I say I don't like it that I'm belittling it at all. When I say I don't like it, I mean I don't like it for me. It is mm-hmm. not the, it is never going to outpace Anne of Green Gables for me or a couple of other books that I loved growing up that also are very domestic like this one and are very like focused on women's inner lives and the quiet comforts of home. And so I don't want it to sound like, oh, I don't like this and it's because it's not a good book or belittling it. It's just that it's not for me, but I think it is a great literary work and does, I think, deserve a higher place as a classic instead of just as a children's classic. Because I do think there are some really deep themes in here that are highly discussable. Mm-hmm. And it's a coming-of-age novel. And we often see coming-of-age novels written by men. I'm thinking of uh, Catcher in the Rye. Mm-hmm. That's not a kid's... That's not called a kid's book. To Kill mm-hmm. a Mockingbird, that's not called a children's book. Mm-hmm. But they all start with the main characters as kids and follow a coming-of-age narrative. And granted, like I do think this one was specifically written for for children, but I don't know. I think there's a lot of literary merit here. I completely agree. And and I think when I talk about how I don't particularly like this book, I want our listeners to know I almost feel sad about that. I wish, (laughs) I so wish that I had read this book as a kid and that I could share in the beloved feelings towards this book. I wish this was a book I wanted to read every Christmas. I I am very jealous of the people who have this book as that touchstone in their lives. And either because of, you know, who I am as a reader or because of when I picked it up, it's not that for me, but it is not the book's fault. It's it's just me and little women. We're like ships in the night. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And do know that we're a little bit jealous over here, but we'll just keep watching the movie and and we'll root you on for your little women rereads. And yeah, I I'm excited to talk about our pairings after kind of alluding to how much we think this book has influenced women writers. Me too. I'm really excited about these. Should we get into them? Let's do it. 
My first pairing, I think, is the only direct retelling that we have on our pairings list. And I felt like it was important to include at least one. I do know many readers love March by Geraldine Brooks, which is a story about Mr. March. He's the father. He's away at war. I have not read it. I think that I would like to, but I haven't read it. And so, and Sarah, I don't think you have either. No, I love Geraldine Brooks. She's she's a fantastic writer. And I think March won the Pulitzer something. Mm -hmm. Um, I do really want to read it, but I didn't have a chance before this. We'll put even more um, Little Women retellings in our bookshop list and in on our blog and all of that. And of course, Annie, Annie Jones shared some great pairings in last week's episode as well. So if you haven't checked that out, do. But yeah, I'm excited to hear about this retelling. Yeah, I but I did. I definitely wanted to include at least one retelling. So we'll just toss out March by Geraldine Brooks as bonus pairing. But this retelling is a middle grade novel. It's called More to the Story by Hannah Khan. And it's a retelling about four Muslim sisters living in Atlanta, Georgia. Jamila, Joe, that's the Joe character. She (laughs) writes for her school newspaper and she dreams of becoming an award-winning journalist. And Jamila and her sisters band together because their father takes an overseas job for six months. And I actually really like how this book is set up because he's there at the start of the novel. And he is kind of talking with his spouse about money issues. And Joe overhears, I I say Joe, Jamila. She's just the Joe character. She's not called Joe. But Jamila overhears this and starts to get kind of worried about money. And then he announces, I'm going to go and take this job. I'll be overseas for six months. And so you, you see him interact with the family in a different way. So more than the retelling aspects, though, which this is a great retelling, this middle grade novel, I just think it makes such a great pairing because of the cozy everyday moments and the realistic writing that's here. The family makes a grocery store run after dinner one night and they go and get ice cream from Publix. They're eating chili and it's too spicy, but they decide they like it, so they're going to eat it anyway. Um... Publix is a grocery store specific to the South in <laughs> in Georgia. And so I just liked those little details. Uh, Jamila and her dad cheer for the Atlanta Falcons. And they she talks about him missing the football season while he's gone. And there are just a couple of other specific brand mentions and simple details that stood out to me as depicting real life in such a sweet, quiet way that just felt so real to me. And I don't think you need to love or even have read Little Women to enjoy this book. I think it stands on its own as a really good middle grade novel. But of course, if you do love Little Women and you want a retelling, I think that this one is so well done. And it's just a beautiful own voices novel. And I love seeing the spin that the author puts on Little Women. So that's more to the story by Hannah Kahn. My first pairing is my most obvious one, too. This isn't a retelling, but when it was published, many people said, like, this is the Dominican-American Little Women. And it is How the Garcia Girls Lost Their Accents by Julia Alvarez. Have you read this one, Chelsea? No, but I've heard about it, and I think I would like it. I think you would like it, too. And and Alvarez, I mean, she's a prolific writer, um, also wrote In the Time of the Butterflies and, and lots of sisterly books because she, like Alcott, grew up as one of four sisters. So I love her writing, and this book feels both inspired by Little Women, but like Little Women, it's also inspired by Alvarez's life. It's set in the 1960s, and it's about four sisters, Carla, Sandra, Yolanda, and Sophia, who move with their family from the Dominican Republic to New York City. And their life in the DR was pretty great. They had a huge extended family. They lived pretty well financially, 
But in the U.S., they have to adjust to a new culture and language, as well as a more impoverished life. But the girls also experience like tremendous growth and triumph throughout this book. There are really hard things in this book, but the sisterly bond, like in Little Women, is kind of what gets them through. This also really connects to Little Women because the Yolanda character is based on the author and she is a writer and she wants to grow up to be a writer. And so we see that kind of biographical element in here as well. So this book is told in, I think it's like 15, 14 or 15 short stories that are all interconnected and and told from different points of view. So I really like that kind of style of writing as well. And it's it's pretty short and manageable. I don't think this book is YA. I, I think it is a book for adults, but it's often read in high school classrooms. It's very accessible for teenagers. So I, I think this book is great if you love little women because of the sisterly element you definitely want to check out How the Garcia Girls Lost Their Accents by Julia Alvarez. My next pairing is YA. So I have middle grade YA and adult fiction here. And I I think that that speaks to what we were saying about Louisa being for all readers. (laughs) But this, this YA novel is most likely by Sarah Watson. And it's not about sisters, but it does feature four best friends who grew up together and they've been friends since kindergarten and they might as well be sisters. And I really like, as I was typing up a description for this book, I was thinking about how maybe Little Women is sort of a core text for some of these books that do focus on four friends. I'm thinking of like Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants. And I'm sure there are some other ones that I'm forgetting. But those four characters, they all have these individual personalities, but they come together as a group and they have these interrelationships with each other. And it's very little women-like when you have a group of four best, best female friends like that, even if they're not sisters. So anyway, I digress. <laughs> Literary rant over. But so most likely by Sarah Watson. I really liked this one on audiobook. And the format of the book, like the way that it's structured, is maybe a little bit Gerwig-esque, um, where Gerwig was playing with the points of view and the structure. So this book opens on inauguration day. And one of the four main characters is about to take office as the first female president of the United States. We just don't know which one. And then we go back to their senior year of high school and get to know each of the main characters at what's truly a formative time in in a coming of age journey. The girls are diverse in terms of interests and ethnicity and socioeconomic status. I think that this book is doing some really interesting things commenting on class. Ava is an artist. CJ is a go-getter. Jordan is a journalist, maybe a little bit like Joe. And Martha is just generally an underdog. And they love each other, but of course they have disagreements and they're figuring out how to be women in the world. It's not necessarily, I wouldn't describe it as cozy and comforting, but it is fun and empowering, which I think that Little Women can also be for some readers. It is set to be a series, so I'm looking forward to seeing where the main characters go. And don't worry, you do figure out which one becomes president at the end, so you don't have to worry about a cliffhanger. I thought it was a really satisfying ending and just a good depiction of female friendship where each character feels like her own person, but then the way that they work together as a group and then have little cross relationships where, you know, one sister sort of takes care of the other one and they have different relationships with each other. I really, really liked it. I think it's a little bit Little Women-esque. I remember when you read this and first told me about it and it just sounds so good. I might try to listen to it before the end of the year. I think you'll enjoy it. All right. My next pairing is The Resurrection of Joan Ashby by Sharice Wallace. And I think 
I'm a little bit more ambivalent about this book compared to many readers I know who like loved this book, but (laughs) I am recommending this with a couple big caveats, which I will get to, but it's a great pairing for little women because it's a book about the writing life and that whether you can have both the domestic happiness and the creative success that according to Anne's book, Little Women is asking that question. So um, the book is about a woman named Joan Ashby. And in her 20s or when she's really young, she writes this collection of short stories. It's totally lauded by critics. And she is seen as like the rising star of the literary scene. And everybody cannot wait for her first novel. So she's written these great short stories and we're just awaiting the novel of this literary genius. But she gets married and she says she doesn't want to have kids, but she finds herself pregnant and her writing gets put on pause and her long expected first novel just never happens. I'm going to tell you my caveats on this book before I tell you exactly why it's still a fantastic pairing for little women. (laughs) First of all, the book includes Joan's she goes by Ashby, but I think that's obnoxious. So I'm going to say Joan. <laughs> <laughs> caveat number one. Okay, okay, I guess that was my first caveat. Um, it includes her short stories, and they're supposed to be these amazing short stories, and they are not good. <laughs> they're so bad. <laughs> okay. I And it's like one of those, you know, when there's like a movie about a band who has like a one-hit wonder and then like the song isn't good and you're just like, well, now I'm kind of... <laughs> so I just skipped the stories when I was reading. Um, I didn't think they added anything thematically to the book and they weren't they weren't good. So, And then the other caveat is that it the book has sort of like an eat, pray, love problem where it features a white woman who needs to find herself and so she goes... And travels and, you know, kind of exploits another another culture. I say exploit. I, it could be that she's, you know, very authentically trying to understand and live in. I think it depends how you read this in order to find herself. Okay, here's why I'm still recommending it. <laughs> Chelsea's laughing. So I'm including it as a pairing because other than, the, like, the short story writing, the writing itself is really good. I think Wallace is a really good craftsman and intricately structures this book. And the book is a fantastic exploration of what it means to be a woman and a writer. I feel like I've read a lot of books that deal with that subject. And this is the one that that kind of always jumps to mind when I when I think about books that address it. And most importantly, this book features the most upsetting literary betrayal I have read in a book since Amy burned Joe's book. Yes. Joan Ashby suffers an insane betrayal having to do with her writing. It's wild and I, I, I think has to be inspired by Amy burning Joe's book. So I think... I mean, to me, that's like the emotional climax of Little Women. (laughs) And so I I had to pair The Resurrection of Joan Ashby by Sharice Wallace. Well, it's a good transition to my last pairing here because it's also about women and the writing life. And I am in the middle of this book right now. So if I change my mind about pairing it with Little Women, I'll let you all know, but I don't think I will. (laughs) This one is... A pairing for Joe, and it is set in Massachusetts. So I I really wanted an East Coast novel to showcase here because I think that's also part of the charm of Little Women is the setting, and a really good book with a protagonist to root for. So I am pairing Writers and Lovers by Lily King with Little Women. It's about Casey, who is. I think she's 31 at the start of the book and she's grieving her mother's death and a really bad breakup, but she's still clinging to her dreams of becoming a writer. And all of her artsy friends from college have settled down and gotten like normal people jobs, but she really (laughs) wants to focus on her art and to make a living as a writer. She has two bows who are very different from one another 
So I think that's a little bit like Joe as well. And both of her relationships work to reveal different things to her at this time in her life. Casey is adamant about living the creative life that she wants, and she's just kind of caught between the dreamy days of her youth and the harshness of adulthood. And I think that this book could really be a Gerwig film. It's a coming-of-age story of sorts, and as I'm reading it, I just keep thinking of Joe. I also thought of this as a pairing because Annie B. Jones of The Bookshelf really liked it. <laughs> and, <laughs> and she loves Little Women. Um, and I was really glad she didn't bring it up on our last episode. <laughs> <laughs> it's also somewhat cozy, and it's really proving to be a good wintry read for right now. Kind of atmospheric, really sharp details that set it and like really ground it in the setting and it's character driven and it's just the kind of quiet story that I'm longing for right now so I think it just works if you are a little women fan I think that you would like writers and lovers by Lily King Hmm. I still haven't read that one yet and I really want to I will be eager to hear what you think because I I think it it's gonna be it might be one of my favorite books of the year we'll see oh wow okay I feel a little bit bad that I none of my books were cozy recommendations, but Little Women isn't a cozy book to me, and yeah. I don't read a lot of cozy books, so I'm sorry. But <laughs> this is my least cozy, <laughs> this pairing. <laughs> and if your Writers and Lovers pairing was for Joe, I would say The Illness Lesson by Claire Beams is for Louisa. I would be very curious to hear what Louisa May Alcott thinks of this book because it was largely inspired by Bronson Alcott's attempts at creating a sort of transcendentalist school. Several attempts, several failures that really, you know, landed the Alcott family in a lot of financial trouble, but also um, kind of made Bronson not quite a laughingstock, but people were like kind of skeptical of some of his ideas. Anyways, this book The Illness Lesson takes that idea of a transcendentalist school and makes it into, I would say, kind of a gothic tale. So the book is about our main character is Caroline. She is a teacher at her father Samuel's school. Samuel is similar to like a Thoreau or Emerson. He's written these essays that are wildly popular, and he has these kind of acolytes who almost worship him and and think highly of his philosophy. And so he has decided to start a school for girls. And this is set in late 1800s Massachusetts. And so a school for girls that was not about embroidery and music and languages was completely unheard of. And he wanted to He wanted to educate the girls, but he also was kind of conducting an experiment to see if girls could learn in the same way that boys can. And so he was teaching them theology and Shakespeare and Latin. And I think there are like nine girls who come to the school and Caroline helps teach. And Caroline is very excited about this project, but she also knows that her own like highly educated background is what has kept her from being able to leave her father's home. She's like unmarriageable because she's overly educated for the time period. And she feels like she almost knows too much. Like it kind of reminds me of that line in The Great Gatsby that the best thing a girl can be is a beautiful fool. Caroline is no fool, and she comp- she really understands the oppression that she and other women face, and she kind of sees that as a burden. So uh, these girls come to the school, and then they start they start learning. It's going well, and then they start having these symptoms like seizures and hysterical fits of laughter and fainting spells and we as readers are not quite sure what's going on. Like, is there some kind of mystical thing happening here? Is it because of the schooling and the lessons? And the book just asks really interesting questions about what it means to be an educated woman, what it meant historically, and maybe what it means now, and what happens when you do you are like a Joe March and you want to lead this independent intellectual life, but the world isn't 
ready for that and doesn't want you to have that. I will give a big, another not a caveat, but a trigger warning here that the book does explore historically accurate treatments of hysteria, which I'm not going to go into here, but are really upsetting. And so if you aren't sure if this book is for you, that is something I would look into. Or you can DM us. I'm happy to chat about it um, before you dive in. But this book is phenomenally atmospheric. Again, it pairs so well because it is really based on Alcott's philosophies and her life and, and schooling and level of education. And I would just be so curious to hear what she thinks about this fictional portrayal of the type of, of school her father wanted to create. And she wrote dark, gothic, sensationalist stories for various publications. So I think she would be thrilled to to go dark. <laughs> I think so, too. <laughs> well, I'll be curious to hear what people think of our pairings. Some unconventional. <laughs> but I don't know. We'll see. I'm very I'm very excited to hear from listeners on this episode. But before we wrap up and tell you where you can hear more from us and where to chat with us about Little Women, do you have a pick of the week for us, Sarah? Yeah, I'm pretty sure I've shared this already, but I'm going to share it again because I thought about it a lot while I was preparing for this episode. This is an article from The Atlantic called Why the British Tell Better Children's Stories. The little subheading here is their history informs fantastical myths and legends while American tales tend to focus on moral realism. And I just think that Little Women is such an example of the types of children's stories that are so American. And this, I I will say that, of course, Based on that title, you can tell that this author thinks that the British versions are superior, but I think that she is really fair and in how she depicts them, and it's just a great exploration of the history of children's stories on both sides of the Atlantic. So we will link to that in our show notes for sure. How about you, Chelsea? I'm going to give just a generally cozy recommendation, Home Cooking, which I love that podcast. It's so good. It's so good, and I don't know why... I only found it like two weeks ago, and I love it so much. It is hosted by Samin and Rishi. Samin is, of course, famous chef. You know her from Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat. And her pal Rishi is the dude from Song Exploder, and he is a really extraordinary podcast producer. So... They are friends in real life and have come together to host a show about cooking at home. And they take listener questions and just talk about family recipes and food as a source of comfort during these weird times. And I am loving it so, so much. I just find it incredibly cozy and comforting and the perfect thing to listen to right now. And so it's maybe not exactly tied to little women, but it is just sort of those domestic home-like comforts I'm really finding comforting right now. I've been baking bread, so it's just the natural progression for me. (laughs) Oh, that's such a good pick. Well, everyone, we are really on pins and needles here, <laughs> waiting. Yeah, we're we're a little scared, <laughs> but we we really hope that we did justice to Little Women and were honest but fair, and that yeah, that you don't hate us after this. Yes, but feel free to gush about Little Women in. The comments on Instagram, we're at Novel Pairings Pod, and we would love to hear from you there. Tell us about your experience with Little Women, if you love it, if you don't, and tell us if you pick up any of the pairings that we recommended today. So if you're loving the podcast, following us over there on Instagram is a great way to show support, but it also really helps if you tag us in your Instagram stories and share the show with your friends. And it really helps if you write reviews for us on Apple Podcast. It just helps people find our show more easily and it 
truly, truly makes our day when we see your reviews on there. So thank you so much for supporting the show. Thank you to Michelle Timmons for her assistance and to Miles Eichner and Mark Anderson for our theme music. Next week, we'll be back with our last episode of 2020, all about our favorite books of the year. So you do not want to miss that one. Make sure you are subscribed.